Welcome back to the Spacemakers podcast. I'm your host, Isabel Gates. Like usual, before you listen to any of our episodes, please start with the first episode from season two. Also, if you want more resources, transcripts to episodes, book recommendations, and more, please visit our website, spacemakerspodcast.com. We wanted to talk about the elephant in every room, which is politics and media. Us here at Spacemakers are very passionate about these subjects. We are aware that a lot of what we talk about on this podcast can be really politicized. Race issues, power dynamics in religion, women's issues, and in the future, LGBTQ plus issues. But let's face it, a lot of issues in Christianity, and maybe even Christianity itself, can be political. Churches do not exist in a vacuum, and there's a whole world happening outside those church doors. But whether you like it or not, politics affects us even inside the church. You saw it when churches had to decide on masks or no masks. You saw it when churches had to decide whether to speak out about Black Lives Matter or to stay silent. Maybe you got sermons about LGBTQ plus issues. Maybe you got sermons on female leadership, or maybe you didn't. Maybe you're wondering why you haven't heard the pulpit address Asian hate crimes or anti-Semitism. Or maybe you're upset that they're always addressing something and you're tired. Whether it's obvious political statements from the pulpit or small racist jokes said by a young Bible talk leader that go unchecked, politics and Christianity are always colliding and we can all feel the tension. There are so many questions out there right now. Is it a preacher's place to make a political stance? Can you or should you coexist in a congregation with people who have different political opinions than you? How should a church cater to both sides of the political spectrum? But should they cater to both sides? This is a huge topic, obviously. We don't see a lot of direct conversation about politics and news in Christian spaces that isn't demonizing the conversation altogether. We'll talk in our interview about why we shouldn't demonize these things, but please keep in mind as you listen to this conversation that this is definitely way too big for one podcast episode. Even as I listen back to this recording, I think we could start an hour-long conversation about each point we made in the recording just because it's so much. So please be patient with us and know that this is not a comprehensive guide to this topic. These ideas are nuanced and complicated. We know we're missing a lot in this conversation, but the reality is we simply can't cover everything. Our podcast is here to start conversations. So hopefully this will just be a great jumping off point for you guys to all talk to each other. And yes, this is a difficult and challenging topic. It can get emotional and heated and uncomfortable. But I want to remind you, like I do again and again on every topic, just because you're listening to us doesn't mean you have to agree with us. Just because something is uncomfortable to think about doesn't mean that it's divisive, and it doesn't mean we shouldn't talk about it. Just because we disagree doesn't mean the conversation is bad. So please listen with an open mind and a lot of empathy Because like usual, everything we're saying as space makers is a reflection of what we know a lot of people are saying, even if you yourself haven't noticed. This episode will be a little different in format. It's not so much an interview as it is a collaborative conversation between Sebastian and I. 
We'll give you our credentials in a bit, but imagine this as a nice happy hour between two best friends. I'm so passionate about this topic. Out of all the topics that we were talking about, I was just like, I need, I just need, I feel like this is such a needed thing that isn't discussed as much, but it literally affects everything in our lives all the time. Um, And so obviously I'm also really excited because I get to do this with my bestie. Sebastian Buck is here. And so (laughs) it'll just be the two of us today, which I think will be really cool. Um, okay, so today's topic is politics and media, which I know is like, <gasps> I know, it's very scary. <laughs> um, a lot of people will feel different things. Um, yes, please bear with us. Give us a little bit of grace and patience and a grain of salt. I it's I just feel like... A pound, a pound <laughs> yeah, of salt. Exactly, a pound, <laughs> lots of salt. Um But the fact that it's scary doesn't mean that we have to ignore it, right? That's what we talk about here in Space Makers. So Seb and I are going to talk about politics, what to do with divisive issues. We're going to cover like media, including like the news. What do we do with it? How do we interact with it? How do we interact with social media and all that stuff kind of it all kind of like goes together, obviously. Um, I just feel like, yeah, we just feel like this is such an important conversation. And a lot of what we talk about here at Space Makers is kind of politicized often. And so I feel like this is a very important aspect of the conversation. So why are we talking about this? Why are we qualified to talk about this? Well, besides being very um, passionate about these topics, um, Seb and I actually do have professional, like, um, I don't know, experience in these areas. Um, so I guess I'll start with me. Um, I studied journalism and media at SMU. Um, I got, I basically had like a double major in journalism and like fashion media, but it was basically a social media major. Um, And I worked as a reporter for a few years. Um, I basically got to write for like every major publication in my city. Um, I got to, I did a lot of like arts journalism. So like celebrity interviews and like all those fun things like concerts. I got to be like a a theater critic, a concert critic. Um, But yeah, I also covered a lot of just different things, a lot of local news, um, which we'll talk about that a little bit more later. But yeah, so news has definitely shaped a lot of how I view the world and just being informed has helped me so much in my personal development, as well as my walk with God and I don't know, just worldview. It's just helped me become a better person, have a better quality of life by knowing what's going on around me. So I'm very passionate about that. Um And then, oh, and then, yeah, I've also worked with social media. I ran social or I helped with social media for Hope Worldwide for a while, Um, GSI and all those things, Hope Youth Corps. I did, I, yeah, I've worked in social media pretty much on and off for years and years. So there's that as well. But um, I'll hand it over to Sebastian to kind of talk about why he's talking about this (laughs) subject. 
So I guess I feel like in a way you're the media, I'm the politics. Yeah. This podcast is a very fun way. Um, also, first of all, I will apologize for my voice. Right now it's fine. I, I'm a, I have a cold, so I feel like the quality of my voice will decline, but I'll, <laughs> I, I'll make it through this hour. It'll be great. Um, but yeah, so um, as Isabel said, I do have a bit of a professional background in politics. Um, it all started out in high school, actually. Um, I was very involved in educational politics. Um, I was on the board for the German student parliament, where we worked on a lot of like kind of educational legislation. Then I actually decided to study political science in Berlin and Los Angeles, um, where I studied a lot. Um, I focused a lot on Israel and Palestine. So I really was interested in the intersection of religion and politics um, in my research as well. And then um, even interned with the United Nations, where I also focused on human rights issues. And um, now, after graduating, I actually joined a consulting firm um, where I exclusively work um, for different governments. So I've worked for the German government. Currently, um, I work for the African Union, um, working on just different political issues, policy regulation, and also um, topics like misinformation, which we'll um, talk about later as well. Um, yeah, so overall, politics has been a very big part of my life, personally, um, also especially as a member of the LGBTQI plus community. Um, we'll get into that more later, but, you know, politics actively shapes my life and decisions that governments make right. do really have a heavy impact on yeah, just my, the reality I live in. Um, so with that, I think um, we're ready to just get into our little introduction of the topic, which is, I guess, why do we care? Why right. Why is there for this episode? Right. Why are we doing this? Um, yeah. So, oh my God, it's going to be so hard not to like just rant about the these things for hours and hours because I feel like we can um oh, hopefully we, we can do. edit things <laughs> and we do that's what this is what we talk about um and so yeah I think a lot about I don't know a, a lot of what drove me to definitely make sure that this episode happened was just like obviously everything going on in the world um and I feel like there is this interesting attitude that most, not all, but most Christians and evangelical Christians, which includes the ICOC, um, have towards politics and news. Um, I feel like there's this kind of like holding it at an arm's length. It doesn't get to come inside of the church. It's it's something that is you know, that whole, it's like this big monster that's like, oh no, that we don't talk about that. We don't touch that. Um, you know, we hear a lot about like politics is divisive, um, and things like that. And I, I guess just to get into it right away, I think, I don't know, a lot of these narratives really bother me, honestly, um, and make me very frustrated, um, because of a lot of things, but we'll just, okay, we'll just start with the whole politics is divisive argument that we hear a lot, right? Like let's, oh, I'm not into politics. Oh, it's, you know, it's divisive. I don't want to touch that and all that. And I totally get where that comes from there. It can get so annoying to be involved in politics. I get that. I see that, you know, you turn on the TV and you see people yelling at each other and you're like, I don't want to touch this with a 10 foot pole. I 
totally understand that. I actually ran by or like talked to my friends who also work in journalism. I have like my, some of my closest friends, they work at like Dallas Morning News, NPR, like, you know, KRA, like these, um, they're amazing journalists. And so I got some input from them as well for the content for this episode. But um, one of the things my friend who works at NPR, Michelle said that when people say that news is polarizing, usually what they're talking about is like, you know, turning on the TV and sitting, seeing political debates on CNN or Fox News, (laughs) which are just basically debates for sport. But what we're talking about when we're talking about like news and politics, it's, it's, I don't know, like, it's not just those things. It's, it's knowing what's going on in the world around you and seeing what's happening to your neighbor, seeing what's happening to the people around you who might not be as privileged as you. Right. And so, um, I think it can get complicated and I know that I'm talking from a very American at like (laughs) point of view, because that's, I, I, I moved here from the Philippines when I was seven. So most of my experience is very American. So maybe Sebastian can help me when I'm trying, when I'm being very U S centric, but U S politics have become so, so polarizing. And I think that's where the frustration comes. It's, it's become so like, you're either this way or you're that way. And there's not much in between and there's not much of connection or, or, um, civil debate in between those two groups. Um, And so there is like kind of a lot of like that happening because of misinformation and just like a lot of things, but it's like, okay, yeah, it's super polarizing. It's super divisive, but like, how did it become this way? How, like, I feel like that's a very important like conversation to have. Um, And I just feel like we need to, I don't know, we need to separate these things. Is it, is it that politics is stressing you out because, because I don't know, because politics is bad and the news is bad? Or is it that there's just a lot to unpack that makes you uncomfortable? And does that mean that you should look away from it? Um, I don't know. I feel like I'm rambling here, but Sebastian, what's your take on the whole looking the other way because politics is divisive kind of issue? Okay. So, um, my take on political political polarization is i think we are all affected by it it is definitely not just an american trend i can definitely tell you that um mm-hmm. in germany it's a severe issue as well in a lot of other countries in a western but also in an african context um there is a massive trend towards just radicalization on both sides, just kind of staying apart from each other more and more, um, which kind of just leads to dialogue being harder. That's the baseline here. Um, I think we're seeing it. And I think we have a lot of problems in even interpersonal spaces. I think COVID Mm -hmm. is a great example of that because I think that led to even further polarization because that was such a fundamental question um, and then because of issues like intersectionality, one issue always connects to further opinions. So I think right. a great example of that is if you're pro-COVID, or not, sorry, not pro-COVID, but if you're, <laughs> if you're I'm someone, pro-COVID. Sorry. If you're someone that just says, well, I don't really believe in masks, I don't really right. trust the vaccine, 
there's a core, there's a very high likelihood, and there's a lot of studies on this done by political um, think tanks. Um, maybe I can give some examples here, but like the GPPI in Germany, they have released a lot of studies on the fact that if you fall on that side of the spectrum in regards to like your medical beliefs, that mm. there's a very high likelihood that you're part of the right wing. Mm. Um, same thing with if you're on the left wing, it is very likely that, you know, that in Germany you vote for a green party the same way you're also more likely to be vegetarian. So I think what is happening right now, which is what makes polarization even more severe, is that like values are connected to lifestyles, which leads to people to live in different realities. And that is something we have to acknowledge. And that is not necessarily a bad thing as long as the two sides are not completely alienating each other, mm-hmm. which I think if you look at American politics, and I'm very sorry that I'm using that example. <laughs> <laughs> And no, people aren't saying this is too America-centric, but it's, it's just a beautiful example because... Well, but like, okay, we're talking to... Our audience is mostly like Christian, mostly ICOC. And so the ICOC where like is, even though it's an international entity, it is very influenced by its origins, which is American. And America is very influenced by American politics. So it's like, you know... yeah. 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 But what I was just going to use, thank you for that. But the example I was just going to use is if you look at interviews, and this goes for like, this goes for both sides in the US, they talk about the other side like they're not humans. Like mm-hmm. the like words that are used to describe right. the other side. And this goes for both sides. I'm not taking a side here. 100%. It is very, very destructive language where there's. Villainizing. No exactly. And I think. That obviously affects us. And I think we have to be aware of even these political strategies of communication because they lead us, even if it's subconsciously, to really disengage with the other side. Mm -hmm. So all that to say, I do understand the argument of politics being divisive, but I really just want people to understand that there are bigger trends at play here. And if you Mm -hmm. actually kind of go one level above. And what I mean by that is not just looking at the issues at hand. So like, you know, Paul, like COVID policies, let's not look at COVID policies, but let's look at how are politicians communicating their COVID policies and understanding how that sways our opinions, because Mm -hmm. that ultimately will help you kind of decipher what are the actual politics and what is the like interpersonal like strategies at play here, which I think that is what most people consider politics. It's the smack talk, it's the headlines, mm-hmm. the drama, it's the corruption, but mm-hmm. that's not actually politics. Politics is the content. Politics at the end of the day is the will of the people and mm-hmm. what actually kind of is at least supposed to improve our lives. So that's, I think my take on that. But I think um, one thing that I just would like to explain to people. And again, I'm very sorry for being the political scientist nerd that I am, but it hurts my little heart when people <laughs> talk about politics in a left-right logic. Because right. it ain't that simple. Mm-hmm. It really is not. And I do understand that, you know, it just makes life easier to think about politics. Like, you know, there's two polls, and you can be closer to one of each of them and mm-hmm. you know, 
based on that spectrum, there's a kind of a party that matches your level of left or rightness and Mm -hmm. boom, that's it. Um, Because that's just not the reality of things. And I think because we've created this duality of there only being two options, that does not help with polarization because that just means there's only like a linear kind of system of Mm -hmm. like, you know, and when you're on the left, you're all the way on the right. But we, us in political science, we actually like to be a little more complex. And we don't just have like a, like a vertical line. We also like to have a horizontal line. Mm-hmm. And this is going to be very meta. But then we also have like a third line. So we're now we're like three-dimensional. So we're mm-hmm. thinking like a cube action of like where you could fall politically. Mm-hmm. Because at the end of the day, it is, you know very possible that you're like in Germany, for instance, you can be like quite left, but also pro-capitalism. That's very much an option. Whereas, you know, there are also right-wing people that tend to be, you know, with like a Marxist aftertaste to them. So, which I know that sounds outrageous. I mean, I'm not going to bother you with the explanations of that. If you're a political science nerd, you'll have understood those references. But all I would like to just let people know is, you do not fall on a political spectrum. It doesn't exist. It's a myth. And I, mm-hmm. it's just like, it, I know it's helpful for like orientation when you first, I guess, make up your mind politically. Mm-hmm. Um, and I also understand that there are countries out there. I mean, the US is a great example where there's only two parties available. Mm-hmm. To um, so obviously, you know, the left-right spectrum is actually... I guess, kind of helpful in that context. But um, a little fun fact on the side, and I'm very sorry if I'm bursting someone's bubble here, um, but like based on like the political science definition of like what is considered leftist and what is considered rightist, the US doesn't have a left party. It has Mm a a right Mm -hmm. party and then a right party. There is no political left in the US technically. Um, so just a little fun, fun fact, fact. <laughs> but even that I think, you know, shows that there's such a crazy polarization between two groups of people that actually in like a German context where right. we have parties in government, um, and usually what has to happen in Germany is two parties minimum have to form the government together. That's mm-hmm. how that works. So just to get enough votes basically to form, because with six parties, it's very hard to have at least 50% of the votes. So you have to kind of combine to form the government. So the funny thing is, mm-hmm. if Republicans and Democrats actually were in like the German system, mm-hmm. they would be like number six and number five, like kind of from the right. So mm-hmm. it's very likely that they would actually form the government together because that's the only way they could operate. And they actually agree on more things than any other party within the German government. Right. So little fun fact there but that's all to say the whole left to right thing it's a myth it's mm-hmm. just you mm-hmm. as used as a tool at this point actually to further the right. divide and yeah. similarities are just not even highlighted anymore because politics are just meant to exaggerate differences and that's leads to people voting for a certain party which at the end of the day is just marketing mm-hmm. because obviously Politicians want votes, they want influence, and especially in this day and time, they want 
lobbyists to pay them money so they can represent their interests. Right. Uh, so just another, I'm sorry, a little excourse just for your consideration when you think about or speak about politics. Mm-hmm. Right, exactly. I think, um, yeah, because like, honestly, the default in America for how it's been functioning, obviously, we think of that as like pretty right wing. But even like the left wing, sorry, surprise, like to everyone else in the world, that's also right. Um, It's kind of crazy. Um, I think that that's something that's very important in this conversation is that a lot of these things are so much more complicated than we think they are. Honestly, just like the Bible, like I think, and we're going to talk about that more, but like the, the Bible has a lot of a lot of nuance to it there's a lot of things that are, are not so black and white that are a little bit more complicated um and that's the same thing with politics and the things that are going on in the world um maybe it's a little bit more complicated than uh we would like it to be but that's just kind of the reality of the situation <laughs> and then my other thing um is just regarding the statement oh i'm just not political um mm-hmm. because i think at the end of the day most things that you do have some sort of political implication and this will right. sound very alienating to a lot of people but little things the way you choose to live your life have a big impact there mm-hmm. are plenty of examples of how that happens for instance lobbyism for those who don't know lobbyism is when Certain companies approach the government and basically make their interests known, which conceptually makes a lot of sense. It's supposed to help, you know, the the companies that bring in wealth into the country get even better politics so they can, you know, pay more taxes and the government or the country just gets more prosperous at the end of the day. Concept, mm-hmm. great. But however, as we mo- most of us know, that leads to a lot of corruption, a lot of problems. Right. So little choices that you make. And my favorite example is Chick-fil-A. If you go to Chick-fil-A, your Mm -hmm. money will go towards anti-LGBTQIA plus campaigns because that's Mm -hmm. where they put their money politically. What I would just like all of us to consider in our everyday life is it is inherently impossible to not be political because most things you do are, or at least have political implications. Maybe they're not even even doing nothing, even saying nothing, you know, like that in and of itself, like silence can be sometimes the most political thing you ever, you know, like you're saying something by not saying anything sometimes. And I know that's like overwhelming and we'll talk about like, you know, little steps because this is, you know, that can be a lot, but like, yeah, even just saying nothing when, when there, the George Floyd protests were happening and I, you know, people weren't saying anything my reaction went to oh are they unbothered and like you know that that spoke volumes when everyone else was and obviously we could talk about like performative things and like just looking like you're advocating but um I don't know silence can say so much like I, I think about like the civil rights movement and how so many churches decided they didn't want to be political during that time. What did that mean? Oh, that meant that they weren't standing up for Black people trying to get freedom and and rights. And they were, by them being silent and saying, no, I want to stay away from this issue, that mm-hmm. was them picking a side. And I, I'm, 
I feel like it's the most so dangerous to think that that's not happening today. Like something in that form by us saying, oh, because I I just want to be a Christian and love the people around me. Okay, why does, you know, why does that not involve knowing what's going on around you? Because, you know, engaging in these issues are some of the best ways to love your neighbor. Like it's, yeah. Right. And I think my last little note, and I think this will probably escalate a little bit, Mm -hmm. um, but just the idea that some people, you know, throw around these statements like, oh, like, I'm just not into politics. Like, oh, I don't really care. That is a very privileged position to be in. And Mm -hmm. obviously, no one is to blame for that. Obviously, there's nothing people can do about it. I'm not saying give up your privilege. Um, Mm -hmm. But what I am saying is there are people out there that have to stare at their screens for hours a day to check what the government is going to do next because it might revoke their visa status. There are people that are staring at screens to hope that there's some sort of government relief package being decided so they can pay their bills. Um, And I think one thing that we also have to remember and I'll give two examples of this, is that Christianity right now is very accepted. So there's no need for Christians to be political, especially in the Western world. No one will ever discriminate you for being Christian. If we look at countries like China, it is illegal to be a Christian. Mm -hmm. So by especially members of the ICOC being out there actually, actively recruiting for our movement they're being political they're mm-hmm. actually actively breaking the law and there's current i know these they're advocating for policies to be changed and for conditions to be improved but christianity over there is actually inherently political because it's a movement that is currently being discriminated against and i think mm-hmm. that is also something we have to remember in an early church context people died they were right. i mean back then they you know back in ancient rome like we all know the gruesome stories of like christians being like you know eaten by like lions in front of thousands of people because they put on a show right because that's the way they were like they chose to be punished but again that was a political statement that was a form of political protest at the end of the day because the laws were not in favor of um Christians back in the day. Okay, yes, that's so true. I think for me like it can get so scary and daunting to look at these things and to, especially if you haven't paid attention to politics your whole life and your only idea of it is like, you know, again, people yelling at each other on CNN, then it's like it can be a lot. It can be daunting and then you see people fighting about it on Facebook. It can it can be a lot, but I think that's the uncomfortability of it. It just isn't enough for us to look away. I just, I just can't with a good conscience say that like, oh, that means we should just not pay attention. And I feel like there's a lot more that we can talk about um, with that, but we can, but I'm just going to kind of transition because we're going to do kind of we're going to try to tackle these things separately. We're going to talk about politics and then we're going to talk about media. And don't worry, we'll talk about like action steps, what to do when you're overwhelmed or how to even start informing yourself and things like that. 
So we're not just going to like, um, like rant, uh, without giving you any tools, but yeah, just to kind of transition to kind of how to have a relationship with politics that is healthy, that isn't going to like drive you crazy, that isn't going to make you like just yell at all your friends and family on Facebook all the time, you know? Um, <laughs> um Yeah. So I think one thing as we talk about politics is we just need to f- understand what what is politics and because I, I think there is right now yeah. obviously i think for me the first thing that comes to mind as i mentioned earlier is like heated debates on tvs like you know just very like tough discussions or you know just like very spicy headlines of the news um mm-hmm. but I think, you know the actual plain and simple very boring definition of what politics is is that it's a set of activities that are associated with making decisions in a group like that's really right. Right. That's really all that is. Um, and obviously, you know, at the end of the day, right now, politics involves a lot more than that. But if we really boil down politics, it's just a structure that allows for a group of people that to make decisions and to function. I think for me, a very, I don't know, I mean, for a lot of people, like a very formative kind of experience when it comes to politics and seeing how it plays out and affects your life was the pandemic. Um, That was, it was insane how divisive a piece of cloth on your face was for so many months. And I don't know if that's different depending on where you live. Um, I know in some areas it just wasn't politicized at all. It was just the health thing. And I remember For me, living in Asia, it's like, if you have a cold, you wear a mask. Like we've done this for years and years and years. And that's just how to protect the people around you. But then (laughs) living in Texas when the pandemic happened was so interesting. And then specifically being in a church with multiple with so many people in different political parties in one church was very, very interesting. Um, And I remember all of the church leaders in my area, their big thing was, oh my gosh, this is so frustrating because I'm listening to both sides and both sides are pulling me in this direction and these different directions, right? And so, and they, I remember, you know, we were very close to these church leaders at the time and they would say like, oh yeah, like we would get on Zoom calls with one group saying, oh my gosh, it is, it's so, we have to protect our neighbor and all that stuff. And then one group saying it's a sin if you wear a mask, it's it's a fear thing if you wear a mask, you're not trusting in God. And then their, and so their, their solution to the issue was kind of to try to somehow pander to both. And then in the end, who, who are you pandering to? If you pander to both when it comes to wearing masks or not wearing masks, right? Cause it's like, if you don't wear the mask, you affect everyone else. And so what we ended up having was, you know, if we did have a mask mandate, then the people who didn't want to wear masks were literally camping out outside of church and like setting up their own little church thing outside of the building and then live streaming it from right outside the building. And it was the craziest experience because I was like, I've never seen 
such a stark visual of division, like ever. It was, it was really insane to me. And then people getting mad at each other because like an usher is, you know, trying to follow the rules and not letting people inside. And it was, it was just so crazy. And I think, um, that's where, you know, it's a great example of like, you really can't not pick a side and then not picking a side means that you're picking a side. Right. So, so that's an example of that. But then also it's an example of like being so, I don't know, I think we can get so caught up in our minds of left and right. And we have to, you know, if we're going to be Christians and love everyone, that means that we have to cater to both left and right. Right. And I feel like that was this, like, especially in Texas, especially in America, that was kind of the solution for like Christians. Oh, we have to be a safe space for both sides. And I think that gets really sticky because when you're talking about people's safety and you're talking about, you know, okay, let's let's go past masks and let's talk about race issues. If you're talking about like human rights and human safety and loving people and, you know, having, um, I don't know, like a lot of, a lot of these hot button issues that we talk about that we're scared of, of like these, you know, if I say the word gun control, the words gun control, or if I say the words abortion rights, or if I say the, you know, things like that. I know there's a lot of feelings there, but are like these hot button issues, like why are they polarized in the first place? Why are, why are they politicized in the first place? Why is, why is a piece of cloth on your face something that is political when 10 years ago in in Asia I would just wear you know we would just wear masks because you had a cold and it's like this stark difference and I think when we're as you know as Jesus followers or whatever you want to call it looking at these scary divisive issues Maybe, maybe the maybe the Christ-like thing isn't to not pick either side. Maybe the Christ-like thing isn't to say, oh, I don't want to go either way. I don't want to be involved. Maybe the Christ-like thing to say is, I don't care about labels. I don't care about political parties. I care about human rights. I care about looking at the marginalized and seeing what they say about the situation. I care about okay, um, if we have members of the church who have cancer, like I I had family members who are literally struggling with kidney failure, cancer, like literally a four-year-old with leukemia. And then I, and they couldn't go to church or be like, um, this my four-year-old nephew couldn't go to church for months and months or see other kids for months and months because people were politicizing masks and refusing to wear one for the sake of my four-year-old nephew, like, you know, being able to see a child, (laughs) another child and play with another kid. Like it just, it breaks my heart when places like church who should, which should be standing for the marginalized and being the, the safest place that you could possibly go to are like so afraid of picking a side or making anyone angry or uncomfortable that the the people who suffer are the marginalized, are the sick, are the weak. And that just makes me so upset. And that was honestly one of the things that made me not want to be in that specific church anymore or 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 go or even attend for for at least a while because I was like, 
I, I appreciate that leaders have very difficult decisions to make. I understand that. But if the thing, if the worst case scenario for you is that you make people mad and uncomfortable and they maybe want to leave the church because of that or not attend because of that, if that's the worst case scenario. And it's and the worst case scenario is not that you're, you know, neglecting the marginalized and the people that we should be you know, protecting, then th- there is a problem there, you know? Sorry, I just went off, like, got really passionate. <laughs> no, but, but honestly, yeah. I love what you said, because I think that's, you know, because I, you know, I mean, I don't know if I mentioned it, but I did study politics. <laughs> no, oh, you but, did? You know, people, people often do approach me about these topics and ask me, like, okay, like, how do I actually navigate politics, you know, as a Christian? Mm-hmm. And I think my thing that I ever tell everyone and that's I think what you just described is if you're on the side of history that fights for a group of people to have less rights you're probably on the wrong side of history that's a very very simple rule to stick by and I think that's something very simple to just keep in mind as you think about the choices you're making who you're voting for Mm -hmm. is what you're doing leading people to have the freedom to choose the life they want for themselves. And that does not mean that we're forcing people to be Christians, but that means that people get the privilege of choosing whether to be a Christian, because that's what Jesus did. There was no requirement ever made by Jesus for you to like commit to Christianity before he would stand up for you. I think my favorite example of this is the adulterous woman. I I think the woman was actually caught in the act. She was mm-hmm. naked, dragged out of her house, and then about to be stoned by a group of men when Jesus told everyone, you know, very famous line, you know, whoever, I, I only know the German version of this. Um, <laughs> Say so, it in German. I don't know the exact words in English, but like, you know, whoever is free of sin, throw the first rock, essentially. Yeah. I hope that's mm-hmm. correct. Um, but yeah, no, but I think the sentiment of that was, you know, very simple. Like he was protecting this woman who obviously back in that day, that was, you know, her breaking the law. However, he stood up for her. And then the, my favorite thing about the whole story is once everyone left, that's when he tells her to change her life, but she has the freedom to choose whether to do it or not, but she was given freedom and she was giving, given the right to choose. And I think that's one thing we have to think about because I know that in a lot of these discussions that we're having right now that are very political, we are. I know that the mindset of some people is we need to restrict the freedom of choice of some people so they're not committing sin. I think, I mean, abortion right. is a great example of that. And we're not going to kind of voice our opinions on the matter. But the reality of things is, Jesus fought for everyone's freedom to choose their own path in life. And that's, I think, a reality we all have to accept. And it is uncomfortable. And it leads to us seeing people do things that, you know, I mean, I see people constantly making choices where I'm like, I wish you hadn't made that choice. But that's the beauty of life. And that's also the beauty of Christianity, because that's exactly the principle on which our belief system operates on is the freedom of choice. It all started in Eden. That's how, you know, we got kicked out because Eve had the freedom to choose whether to eat the apple or not. And I think 
politics is not the way to prevent people from making choices that are their God-given right, actually. And I think that's something to remember when we navigate politics. That's something we have to navigate. I remember when we just navigate life, to be honest. Mm -hmm. Um, And again, that's not me condoning or, you know, kind of justifying any sort of politics I don't agree with or that I think are straight up bad. Um, But when there's an issue of are we giving people the freedom to choose a certain something and you're on the side of people that says categorically no, just think about that. And I'm also saying, I'm sure there's exceptions to what I'm saying right now. So obviously, maybe it's not categorically true for every issue at hand. But for the majority of issues, I think, that are currently politically being discussed, um, this is a rule that can be, of, I think, of help to some people. Right. I think another rule, and I kind of touched on it, but I want to harp on it more, is to pay attention what the, to what the marginalized are saying about the issues that affect them specifically. Like, I mean, it, just in general, pay attention to what the marginalized are saying, but like, especially with the issues that affect them. We're talking about race issues. Okay. Are you, the people that you're talking to about this, are they all white? Or is there only one black person in that group, you know, or are you going and talking to uh, like, just like the black community, what are they saying about it? I almost never post like almost any political opinion, honestly, unless I know like what my black friends are saying about it. I know that's kind of like funny, but like, I mean, especially race issues, but I'm like, pay attention to who's saying what, when you're talking about women's issues and women's rights and things like that, what are the women saying? Like, are you just listening to a guy on a podcast or, you know, the the preacher on on Sunday or whatever? Like, pay attention to who is saying what um, and and know your posi- positionality, you know? Like, um, I, I am a Filipino woman and I, I think I'm, I'm qualified to talk about like women's issues because I'm a woman, but when it comes to LGBTQ plus issues, I'm pretty straight and I don't, I don't consider, I don't have, I don't feel like I have the need to, I don't know, like make up my own stance on it without listening to the people who it actually affects. Like, what, like who am I to say, like what policy should be in this, this issue? Cause it's not affecting me either way. I'm going to be fine. Right. Like my, my marriage, my life is going to be fine. And that goes with so many issues that, you know, immigration, literally anything that you you can think of, like, let's talk to the people that it actually affects because, and again, this is going back to like the fact that looking away from these things is privilege. Um, Because if we don't pay attention to all of these current issues, what's going to happen? Who's going to be okay? The, the, you know, the privileged people, the white, the straight, the cis, the male, um, usually the Christian, usually the upper class. Um, and, and the, and, and so the thing is, if we don't say anything about it, the, the people that are going to be fine are the privileged. So let's always, always pay attention to the people who aren't privileged in these matters. It's, it's really that simple, honestly. Um, if you're in a, in a Facebook debate and you're going back and forth, which we can talk about Facebook debates, but if you're going back and forth and you realize, oh, we're talking about 
women's rights. Uh, and I'm not a woman, but this person is a woman. Hmm, maybe I should keep that in mind when I'm talking about that. Or we're talking about, you know, Black Lives Matter stuff. Hmm, maybe me as a white person, maybe I need to step back a little bit. You know, maybe I need to remember who I am in this situation. So that's all, like that's that's what p- positionality is. Remember your identity, who you are. That doesn't mean that you, you know, you can't participate in, you know, discussions, but that that's something to think about and to remember as you engage. Did you want to say anything else about that, Seb? Um, I'm going to acknowledge my positionality and just yeah. listen. Uh, um, yeah, another thing that I wanted to bring up, um, I feel like this is a huge reason why a lot of Christians don't want to kind of look at the hard things and pay attention to a lot of the pain and suffering in this world or the the issues and that kind of stuff. I think a huge reason is that we have this idea, uh, like this the traditional idea of heaven, right? It's it's this idea that like you know once we die, it'll be fine. So why you know like let's just convert as many people as we can because in the end we have heaven to look forward to. Um, I don't want to get into the whole um, heaven and hell thing right now because that's like a huge um, topic. Um, I'm just going to say that my views on that have, have changed a bit. Um, And you, a huge resource is, you know, love wins by Rob Bell, things like that. We can link some resources, but what I will say is that a huge thing that I see in scripture is Jesus saying, you know, let, basically talking about heaven coming on earth, right? Like your kingdom as it is in heaven, as it is. Like, like I I think there's a lot of teachings there that I've learned recently about how Jesus wanted heaven to happen on earth now. So I think that teaching helps so much when you're talking, when you're looking at the world, right? Because, okay, let's give an, an example of like clean water. Why would us as Christians want people to have clean water? Like if we think that, oh, it's fine because in the end they're going to have heaven anyways. So, so they, you know, the, the, the kids in like these remote places who don't have access to clean water, they should probably, I don't know, this is dramatic, but like, you know, they'll just dehydrate and die because then there's heaven. I, I just can't believe that that is a logical thing that God would be supportive of, right? That doesn't make any sense. You like no Christian would say, well, we probably shouldn't give them clean water because in the end they'll die. And then, you know, that's better for them anyways, because heaven's got clean water. That just doesn't make any sense. I don't think anyone can prescribe to that line of thinking. And so the line of thinking that I can prescribe to is trying as much as possible while we're here on this earth to have heaven on earth. So what does that lead to? That leads to us looking at our neighbors and looking at the people who don't have clean water and being like, oh, I want them to have clean water (laughs) and actually doing something about it, which I feel like matches how Jesus went about living his life so much more than the previous scenario. So I think when we're thinking about this whole like, oh, well, let's just focus on, you know, converting people and not caring about the issues that will get people human rights. Let's not care about the people that I can vote for. That'll get people 
to have more rights and, you know, that kind of thing. Um, I just feel like if we change our mindset on that a little bit, then we can care about the people that are around us a bit more. And that will help so much to just care about social justice issues and to not look away. So I just wanted to address that like little argument. (laughs) So we're going to talk about media now. Um, Kind of social media, kind of news media. I know there's like a lot there (laughs) and sub knows that I can just kind of like rant about this for a while. So I'm going to try not to too much. (laughs) Um, I think first of all, I'm just going to go with like this I hate the news because it's depressing argument. And then I'll hand it off to Sebastian after that. But um, yeah, I hear this all the time because obviously I'm a journalist and people are like, ah, I hate the news. It's depressing. Um, And I have a hard time with that, obviously, for the things that we've already talked about, like privilege and things like that. But I'm like, okay, one, what if the news isn't supposed to make you feel good? It's not entertainment. If you want to watch something or consume something that makes you feel good, read a book, watch some Netflix. Like that's not what this is for, first of all. Second of all, there's so much good news out there. I I think, and this is another thing that one of my um, journalist friends said, they're like, if you're not consuming any good news, then you probably don't consume enough news because there's a lot out there. Mostly like local news, they do so many heartwarming stories. There's a lot of good out there. And I think it can be overwhelming because there's a lot of bad, but there is so much good as well. Um, And it's good to balance those things. Um, And then the other thing is like, okay, is the news depressing or are just like the state of things sometimes depressing? Because there's a there's a difference. Um, And and either way, like looking looking away doesn't change the fact that this thing is depressing. It's like, okay, is it that you're bothered that like, oh, they're always, they're always like um broadcasting the the newest school shooting. There's always something, you know, why is the news so depressing? I'm like, okay, are you mad at the journalists for letting you know that there is another mass shooting? Or are you actually like, can we just be mad at the actual policies that lead to I mean, this is a very American problem that lead to America having so, so, so many more mass shootings than anywhere else. Like by by far, I can get the statistics. I feel like I should because they're like staggering. According to Institute for Health Metrics Evaluation, United Nations, out of countries with developed economies, the U.S. has the most gun violence deaths at more than six times the rate of the next highest ranking country. In 2022 alone, as of November 5th, there have been 583 mass shootings, averaging at about 1.6 per day, according to gunviolencearchive.org. Yeah, is is it that you're frustrated that you keep on seeing a, a news notification that there's another school shooting, or are you frustrated that there's school shootings? Like there, there is that difference, and and turning off your, you know, cell phone does not change that people that this is something that is happening, you know? Yeah. And I mean, I think it's also all about, you know, what you make of it too. Cause I think politics, you know, and media are very intertwined. And I think media is a way for you to make up your mind, how are you going to go about your day in a way? And I know for myself, you know, the second 
I heard the news about the war in Ukraine. Me and all my friends started volunteering and protesting on the streets. And Mm -hmm. yes, it was depressing to hear, but it also helped us to make an informed decision about how we're going to get active and actually do something. And I think, you know, I think the school shooting example is another great example. If you're tired of hearing about school shootings, go sign a petition, join a protest, get active. There's organizations to join. You know, I just encourage people, yes, the news are depressing, but don't let them, you know, but like in a way, use it as a source of motivation to make Mm -hmm. things better because you actually do have the tools. And obviously we can have a whole discussion about impact and, Mm -hmm. you know, contributing, you know, and being the change you want to see in the world, la-di-da. But like <laughs> at the end of the day, like, you know, all these little things do make a difference as cheesy as it sounds. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it's also a more healthy way to deal with, you know, the discomfort the news can cause, right. which I think can channel to something very beautiful and productive. And I think, so that's one thing. Um, and I think the other thing, and I think that's, I mean, I'm kind of opening a new can of worms here. Um, but I think there's also discussion you need or we need to have around the kinds of news people actually consume. Um, <laughs> the news you consume heavily, heavily, you know, shapes the way you see the world. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, I think a beautiful example of this is the war in Ukraine. If you read the news in the West, and by the West, I mean, let me give you a specific news outlet. If you read the New York Times, if you read BBC, like if you read the Washington Post, they will tell you it's an invasion by Russia, you know, like, you know, taking over the Ukraine. Mm -hmm. If you read Russian news, they'll tell you that there's terrorists in the Ukraine and they're Mm -hmm. saving the Ukrainian people from them. If you read the news in China, and, and I'm talking about the Chinese sun or, you know, I mean, and also an example of Russian is people Sputnik. I'm actually trying to give examples here. Um, yeah. So if you read the Chinese sun, it will tell you it's like a mix of the first two, actually. So, <laughs> you know, it's a, it's a whole thing. But I just want us to be aware of the fact that politics is written by people and people have a motive. And also mm-hmm. a lot of these newspapers you know, they have political affiliations. There's beautiful tools online, actually, that basically tell you where the newspaper falls on the political spectrum. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's also, I think, the most important intersection of media and politics we have to realize is that every media outlet is also inherently political, Mm -hmm. as just talked about earlier. And... um, yeah, so I just would love for people to don't just consume CNN. Don't, you know, don't <laughs> just consume the New York Times. Mm-hmm. Really make sure you listen to, I mean, obviously within your country, I would just say listen to, I guess, the most left thing you can find, find the most right thing you can find, and then find the most like center newspaper you can find. And there's just Google it. There's tools, I'm mm-hmm. sure, for every country to help you figure out what which of these news outlets that is. Mm -hmm. Um, But then also 
listen to international news. And by international, I mean, if you live mm-hmm. in a Western country, listen to Eastern news. Um, and then also vice versa. If you live in Eastern country, listen to Western um, because actually also every newspaper, even like, you know, Russian newspaper are available in English. And it's very interesting to understand, even though, I mean, I can only speak for myself. I personally disagree with what is written in most of them. It is still just very helpful to gain a general understanding of where, or I just, I guess the narrative that is told in those countries, which will ultimately help you understand you know, just like the world you, the people have, because that's the media Mm -hmm. they consume. That's the realities they're confronted with. Um, And I think that just really also helps with a lot of compassion when it comes to these discussions, because at the end of the day, like there are people that are in countries where the media is completely controlled by the government. And I think that's something we have to remember. Um, Mm -hmm. And that I think nurtures a lot of opinions, you know, that, for us, or for at least me, are like very like repulsive in the beginning, but you know, just kind of recognizing that they're not necessarily coming from a place of, you know, oh, this is a terrible person, but rather this person has been fed the same narrative for 30 right. to 40 years by the same news outlet. It's like, of course, you're going to think about it in a certain way. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, honestly, similarly to me, the way I was raised, you know, in the church, and I was you know, raised with a set of beliefs and like, that was my reality. And I mean, it still is. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously now I made some, I guess, revisions um, personally to my belief system, but um, there's a whole, I think, w- like discussion that needs to be had around. I just get, yeah, I just, I guess like reflected consumption or like well-rounded consumption of the news, if that makes sense. Yeah. Oh, a hundred percent. Yeah, it's huge. I think um, part of why like politics is so polarized is because of something called echo chambers and um, social media and media that is like accessible to everyone all the time has made this so much worse. Um, But echo chambers, like an echo chamber is basically when everyone around you is like saying the same opinion that you have and then it gets more extreme. That's just, it's the nature of echo chambers. If everyone around you is just going to echo the things that you believe and that the, um, they're exactly the same, they're the same as you, um, it gets so, so, so dangerous because you can kind of, that, that, that's, that leads to people al- being alienated from one another because they're not seeing um different perspectives they're not seeing different identities they're not seeing you know people that are different than them um and how the world is treating them and things like that we can all have echo chambers like no matter i'm i'm like no matter what political party you're in like there like there's echo chambers on both sides and and in the middle like there's echo chambers everywhere and i think that that's something that you definitely have to keep in mind when you are consuming any type of media. And I'm not even talking about news. I'm, I mean, this is this goes for social media. This goes for Facebook. If you all your Facebook friends are, you know, one type of thing, then that'll make you think that this is just how the world is, right? And so I think, you know, something huge is to just kind of expand your world a bit, you know, like make sure that you... um aren't just talking to the people that agree with you, that you're talking to people who are different than you, that are challenging you and doing that in a very humble and respectful way. Um, I think in terms of consuming the news, yes, like like definitely consume different types of media. Um, 
and, um, you know, read the news from different, different like publications. Don't just read one publication. Um, and, and not even just left and right, but like just in general, just we read a wide variety, um, and be very critical about what you read. Just be critical. Are you actually reading or listening to reporting or is this a brand campaign manager that's writing something on New York times? You you have to see who's, who's written, who's writing the story, it's and and I think maybe this is a way that could kind of help people is like it's it's just like when we read the Bible, right? When we read the Bible, we have to read it with context. Who who's writing? Who's like Paul? Paul's letters. Who is he writing to? Where is he writing this? Um, what what are his motives? Who are the people that are listening to him? Right. That's so important because if we take one tiny scripture we all know that that's that's not good if we weaponize one little tiny scripture and we don't know what's happening in the rest of the story right um and so it's a, it's the same thing with news uh, if we take one headline um and take that and run um then that's dangerous or if we go to a website that is super biased literally has i don't know like trump flags on the website or or, you know, or whatever it is, not even, I'm not even saying like, this happens left and right. This happens with every political affiliation, but you have to just see, oh, I'm getting my news from, uh, yeah, a political campaign. Maybe that's not the best way to do things. Um, so keep in mind the context, keep in mind what information you're missing. Be super critical, not like critical in a bad way, but critically think about what you're consuming. Um, if, if it's super, if it's trying to make you feel something, either that it's sad or mad or angry or all these things, um, then, then pay attention to that. Cause maybe that's, that's being, you know, trying to touch your emotions and trying to manipulate you in that way. Um, try to look for, you know, news that's just like, this is happening. Right. Um, I think that said, all news is biased because it's going to come from one person's one perspective, right? Because no matter like, no matter how good a journalist is, if they have to write one story, they have to only write one story. And every reality has so many different stories and so many perspectives that someone could take from it. Even when I was writing um, you know, like concert reviews. It's like something as simple as that. I'm like, ooh, I could take it from the from the perspective of, you know, like uh, an audience member who doesn't know this artist or an audience member who does know this artist. There's so many different ways. And in the end, I had to pick one. I had to pick a story and write that story. Um, so no matter how good or bad a journalist is, there's going to be some bias. And so um, instead of getting mad at that, I think us as readers just have to be better at consuming these things. Um, I think some things that help is again, don't just read headlines, read the entire story, see what, who are the people they're quoting? Um, are they actually get the, getting them from like good, good sources? Um, and, oh, um, also question yeah. statistics, please. That's yeah, I yeah. Think my Oh, a hundred percent. Yeah. Like, Do you want to explain that a little bit? Yes, I would love to jump in because mm -hmm. I think my favorite example of this, okay? Mm -hmm. So at some point after the COVID vaccinations were rolled out, there was a headline that said 50% of people in hospitals 
are actually vaccinated, um, which the baseline of that argument being, well, that just means, look, the vaccine isn't working because half the people in the hospital are vaccinated. So therefore, it can't, the vaccine can't work. What the article didn't acknowledge is the fact that at that point in time, the vast majority of people was vaccinated and that the pool of unvaccinated people was actually significantly smaller. So if we just bear that in mind, obviously the number of vaccinated people is going to be higher because if you have a million people and out of that 1 million vaccinated people, 10% walk into the hospital, that's 100,000 people in the hospital. If you have 200,000 vaccinated, uh, unvaccinated people, 50% of those land in the hospital, then you have 100,000 vaccinated people and 100,000 unvaccinated people in the hospital, leading to the statistic that 50% of vaccinated of people in hospitals are vaccinated. But the actual reality is that 900,000 vaccinated people were not in the hospital because, and that's a 90% coverage rate, which is what the vaccine promised. So obviously we can get into a whole argument about COVID, but that's just one example about how data was skewed and presented a very specific picture that was actually in favor of that or of that newspaper's argument. Mm -hmm. And I just would love for you to just take away statistics are always, you know, going to be in favor of the writer's argument. Mm -hmm. So just make sure, and I'm not saying that every statistic is bad, but this mm -hmm. kind of strategy is used a lot. Like even in the way numbers are presented, if it's, you know, people love to use percentages instead of full numbers because they. I, I remember in Germany, there was a vaccination campaign and they announced Germany, like in Berlin, we had 300% more vaccinations than last week. And we were talking about like a jump of like a thousand to like, I think 4,000, which like that was an embarrassingly low number, but like the 400% mm -hmm. made it sound so much more exciting and right. great than what it right. actually was. Um, right. So those were just two examples. Um, obviously, don't please don't sit there with a calculator and check my math there. I really tried. I'm just doing this on the spot. But um, you get the idea. Just, yeah, you get the idea. But maybe just some like resources to like finish this little section off, mm -hmm. um, because I think one thing I love is um, newsletters, like morning, like yeah. news, news newsletters. So like yeah, actual. Yeah you know, little skims. Um, so I think yeah, I love the skim. that I love is the skim. It's yeah. spelled the skim, but then with a double M. Um, they're very, I mean, they're, you know, objective-ish. I mean, obviously that objectivity as is As much as you can, like, yeah, it's right. not possible yeah. to be completely objective, but yeah. And I think another incredible one is by the Associated Press. It's called the AP Morning Wire. Um, so both of these basically send you a little like summary of the news every morning by email. Mm -hmm. You can read through them in 15 minutes. Um, I think the Associated Press one, I mean, it's very stale. It's very, very, I mean, it's it's exactly how you would picture the Associated Press to write. It's very <laughs> like straightforward, yeah. just the facts, very bland. The skim is a but, little more fun. Um, the skim is a little fun. The writers are a little more funky. But like the AP Morning Wire, if you really just want like no adjectives to sway your opinion a certain way, like AP Morning Wire is your uh, going to be your thing. Um, yeah, so those are just two, but there's a lot more. Yeah. So 
feel free to Google, but um, yeah. I just want to get it well. Yeah, I think, I think another thing about um, that, which it reminded me of, is like, it just gets the news. So like as somebody who knows kind of more of like the behind the scenes of like a lot of different publications and how the news works, um, it gets really complicated because the, when you have money <laughs> involving the news, things get complicated, right? And so, I mean, I'm lucky to live in the U.S. where the the government isn't controlling the media quite as much as, you know, in like China or somewhere like that. But but <laughs> there's money involved, right? Because in the end, um, the New York Times, let's say, is a business. And it's, in the end, it has to make people click in order to pay its staff. And, you know, all, like even a, a small a small like um, pub- local publication, they still have to pay salaries. And so they have to get you to click. And so sometimes they'll use words that sound a little bit more exciting, but it's like, what else are they going to do? You know? Um, and then obviously that gets complicated because you don't want to go into clickbait and all that. But I'm just, I just wanted to say that because money makes this issue very, very complicated. And you'd be surprised how many, you know, like when when you look at like donation amounts of like senators to, you know, it, it, it all gets a little bit sketchy and um, yeah, money just makes it very, very complicated. And so I think that's something to keep in mind uh, when you're like, wait, why would people be so echo chambery or why would people want to sway me one way or the other way? It's usually, it usually has something to do with money. Um, and so paying attention to that. And I think that's where, um, you know, consuming different types of media helps a lot. Um, and, uh, my, honestly, my biggest thing besides, of course, like making sure that you're not in your echo chamber and just listening to one type of, um, news, my biggest thing is like, listen to local news or read local news, um, usually lo- with local news, it's not as much, you know, big chunks of money messing things up and making things really complicated. And with local news, you can kind of, if if national news and things like that can sometimes overwhelm you, you can kind of, you know, focus on what's going on in my city with the people that I know, my neighbors and that kind of thing. And that helps a lot. I, I think that the local newspaper is like, one of the biggest, like one of the most important entities in like functioning, functioning society. Um, And I think, uh, you know, from knowing a lot of local journalists, they're, you know, really some of the best people who are just trying to make sure that people know about issues that are affecting their kids, that are affecting their schools, their families, their neighborhoods. And maybe it's not as sensationalist as like these big, you know, there's a video of Trump and Biden debating and that's, you know, interesting and all that stuff. But local news might be telling you about something like policy that's changing the way your water is being filtered. Okay, maybe I should know about that or policy about, you know, different things like that of zoning of like, you know, systematic racism that's happening in a more local level. Um, And I think that's something that can honestly help with like burnout as well. You can just kind of focus on what, like what's going on around you. If you're like me (laughs) and you start looking at these issues and then you start, you're, you're getting really frustrated and confused and overwhelmed. 
let me just say like, yeah, I, I'm right there with you. I understand. I remember like I, I didn't always care about like current issues very much. I was very much in my own bubble. It was very comfy. Um, I didn't know a lot about what was going on around me. And then once I started informing myself, I quickly got very overwhelmed at all the things to care about, all the things to be angry about and to be sad about. Um, and I think, you know, this is kind of just what happens, obviously, when we, especially with my generation, when when we're raised with literally everything that's happening in the world on, on our fingertips at all times, it's just going to happen. Um, but I think maybe this feeling of overwhelm and frustration and sadness, maybe that, maybe it's not so bad that that is the reaction. Um, because I know, you know, we want to be positive and we want to be hopeful and we want to be, you know, happy, happy Christians. And, um, and it can be really uncomfy to not have the answers to everything, to not solve and fix everything. Um, but maybe, I don't know, maybe we can just learn to sit in the sadness because there's a lot of people who have been feeling it for a very, very, very long time. And maybe this is the first time that you've actually just been exposed to it. You know, like for me, I um, I was I was raised around a lot of, you know, mo- mainly white people. Um, and when George Floyd stuff started happening and I started talking to a lot of my black friends. It was, it was a lot, even for me, not being a black person. Um, I, I was, it was, it was a lot. I definitely shed a tear looking at, you know, many tears looking at what was going on. Um, but it's like, oh, is the solution to that to do something that makes me feel better? So I'm not sad anymore. Like, I just, I, I don't think so. I think, it was it it took those things and and looking at it to make me realize that like oh shoot like my my black friends have felt this for generations not only years but generations and um now I, i'm i i'm i'm seeing their pain for the first time in this very real way and maybe that is the correct Christ-like way to think about it and, and to, to be in that pain, to weep with them, you know, and, and maybe it's not to be like, Oh, so let's go figure out how to fix it. Um, you know, like maybe, maybe the, maybe we need to just be uncomfortable. And I, and I want to say that, um, but I also want to talk about this idea of burnout and to say that what I like, I believe that engaging in the media and social media and talking about things is really important. I, I believe that reading things and having open and honest discussions about these things is very important. However, I do understand that like you might have to take some breaks sometimes, you know, like I understand that sometimes you have to take a mental health break because it's too much. But I say that with asking you to remember a few things. One thing is, okay, is this me taking a mental health break for a day and just putting away my phone so I can take care of myself and read a book and maybe meditate and pray and whatever you want to do? Is that is that is it that? Or is it that I am running away because it's uncomfortable and it's challenging me? I think there's two different ones, right? So one, one the, the former thing is that you 
are very intentionally being like, okay, I need to take care of myself today. I'm panicking a little bit. This is a little bit too much for me. Maybe I need to go on a walk. There's a difference between that and the other thing, which is, oh, okay, this is too much. I'm going to like not look at it and like just, you know, like, because it's uncomfy. Um, And so I think that, yeah, once you figure out that difference, it is it is totally fine to take a break. Even I sometimes I'm like, I don't really want to read the news for a little bit just because I need to like center myself and make sure that I am, you know, taking care of myself as well. Um, but with that in mind, I think that's, you have to also think about your positionality when it comes to that. Um, you know, again, sorry to keep on using that same, uh, like example, but during the George, George, um, Floyd, Black Lives Matter thing, like protests, Black people couldn't really take a break. Like, like maybe me as somebody who is not Black, I, I could shut off my phone and like go on a walk for a little bit, but but that's maybe that's me being privileged as well. Um, and so I think this can get really hard because it can get hard to see people in pain and see things that you can't really fix. Um, but a lot of the times that's the reality of the situation. <laughs> I don't know like how to make that sound better, but honestly, it's not meant to make you feel comfy, I guess. And um, all we can do is just care and love each other. You know, Um, that sounds so doom and gloom, but like. Well, but like, I think also one thing to just keep in mind is, you know, kind of about feeling this kind of fatigue and Mm -hmm. feeling depressed and like hearing about these news is that in most cases, and I'm speaking as a white cis male here, at the end of the day, it is just a feeling. Mm-hmm. And I think that's something very important to remember. And that's not to disregard right. feelings. And that's not to say mm-hmm. that they're not valid and it's good that you're feeling them. But at the end of the day, I am privileged enough to say that that is not my pain. And I think we also need to realize that that is makes it even more of our responsibility to inherently care about these issues because we're the ones privileged enough just to feel things about it. We're not actively affected by it. I mean, to just go off the George Floyd example again, I have never experienced racism before. That is a Mm -hmm. fact. Or Mm -hmm. the only sides of racism that I experience are the benefits because I am a white man. And so with that, I just want us to remember the fact that you're merely feeling things about certain situations is also a privilege in of itself. Right. 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 Yeah. No, I, no, I love that. I love that. Yeah. I think that I was like, I was like, did I bring no. that home? <laughs> I like, no, 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 I really liked that. Um, yeah. I think, man, it's in the end, it's just like, about caring and sometimes caring hurts a lot and um that doesn't mean that you shouldn't care you know like um yeah I don't know I think um there's a lot going on in this world and I think you'd be crazy not to be sad about it I honestly like I think you'd be crazy not to want to throw things at the wall sometimes um 
Yeah. And that's not to say like, oh, so that means we shouldn't care because it's always going to be this way. I feel like that's also something. I don't know how I feel about that. I understand where it's coming from, but I'm also like, you know, keep in mind your privilege because maybe that, maybe you can say that, but you know, somebody who is, I don't know, in war torn, like countries can't really just not pay attention. <laughs> um, yeah. I mean, I think it's, it's about little steps, small steps. I think, you know, if you want to go and I mean, I would say just go ahead and delete CNN and Fox News all, all together, but that's just me. <laughs> um, and then go and follow some more reputable uh, sources. Go even if it's on Instagram. Like I know we demonize social media a lot and I could rant about that all the all day long, but social media and your phone can be a great tool um, to learn about things. And just because information is on social media doesn't mean that it's inherently wrong, um, but it also doesn't mean that it's inherently right. So what I'm saying, go like, like, it, like if you want to get information from social media, make sure it's not from like your uncle Joe, who is super biased. Make sure that it's from, you know, like news outlets are on social media too. So you can follow like some different ones and make sure that there's like a good variety that could help. Um, trying to think of anything else small. I think, um, yeah. uh, fa- oh, sorry. I was just going to say like Facebook arguments have probably never, ever helped anybody. <laughs> I feel right. like, um, so be careful about that. I just feel like it's not worth it personally. Cause it just stresses me out. Um, but like if people are being kind and humble and calm, then maybe, maybe engaging in a conversation would be better fighting i don't think that's gonna help (laughs) yeah and i think one thing just a general like reminder i or i just i the way i approach you know information Mm -hmm. or i guess the just like news i read on social medias i don't see i social media as a place where you get the information Mm -hmm. it's just a place where you get the impulse to look for the information yeah yeah like wouldn't i think just a good rule of thumb is don't ever quote anything off of social media right. you see something where it's like i don't know like a certain yeah. news headline google it right back check it and then you can confidently speak about it to your friends because that's yeah when like what i'm describing is how misinformation happens it's mm-hmm. when people just read a line on social media don't question it just mm-hmm. talk, talk to the friends about it right that's how that happens and it mm-hmm. takes exactly 20 seconds just to be like i mean just well, that sounds a little spicy. Let me just give that mm-hmm. one check. You can like just go through the like top three news outlets. Let it be the New York Times, BBC, and then something spicy like Sputnik from Russia, mm-hmm. and then you're good to go. And you can yeah, yeah. Really think about it. you can right. even quote second newspapers. There's only right and do that and do that before you make your stance by posting something. Like please, please, yes. please take a second before if you, post, you share. Before you share a cute infographic, make sure that you see the sources. A lot of the times, the people that make infographics that are a bit better, they'll have sources at the end. So look at that. Does it say, you know, like, we love Biden 2020? Like, okay, then maybe that's a biased source. We love Trump 20, you know, then that's a biased source. Or does it say, like, 
okay, this is about uh, the vaccine. And then it says something like it's an actual health organization. Like, okay, then maybe that's better. Um, and so, yeah, that, that too, I think, I think a lot of Facebook arguments could probably also be, um, I don't know, like, like a huge thing that could help that is just if people were informed before they make statements on social media. Um, but yeah, I feel like that's all I could think about. Obviously could keep on going, but I feel like I feel pretty good about that. Is there anything else that you wanted to say, Seb? That's good. Pretty yeah. sure. If one of you says to him, go, I wish you well, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about his physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. James 2, 16-17 Jesus did not say, blessed are the peacekeepers. He did not bless those whose primary goal was to keep the peace, to maintain the status quo, without regard for justice or equity. No, the ones that Jesus explicitly blessed were the peacemakers, those who actively strove to cleanse the world of oppression and exploitation in order to make a reality where true peace can reign for all. Obrey M. Hendricks, The Politics of Jesus. Jesus was political. He was born into a very politically charged world and took a very firm stances that always pointed towards love. He was so radical that they put him on a cross. He did not exist in a vacuum then, and we don't think he would now. And he didn't please everyone. His goal was never to stay out of controversial topics for the sake of so-called unity. His goal was never to stay out of controversial topics for the sake of so-called unity. He actually made people really mad at times because he would rather defend the less privileged and love radically than try not to make religious people mad. Politics isn't a sport where you pick a team and try to beat the other side. We're talking about fighting for people to be safe, to have their basic needs met, We're talking about building a world where we love our neighbor enough to at the very least know what's happening to them, but hopefully to also take action on that. Are we as Christians too holy to not come down off of our hill and see what's going on around us? To do the hard work of challenging our worldview, of learning new ideas, of listening to new perspectives, of risking being wrong. And maybe we'll disagree. Maybe things will get messy. Actually, with this topic, they definitely will. We don't have all the answers, and we can't promise you that everyone will be holding hands by the fireplace all the time. But we can promise you that brushing things under the rug will not work long term. We can tell you that radical empathy and real love cannot happen where there is marginalization and inequality happening that we're turning a blind eye to because it's uncomfortable. We're in this together, guys. Take baby steps. If you want a great book on this topic, we highly recommend Jesus and John Wayne, but there's plenty of others that we'll link. If you are in an echo chamber, it might take a while for your social media feeds to change or for your social circles to change. 
But even the smallest steps can make a difference, like following black creators and listening to their perspective or unfollowing extreme news outlets like Fox or CNN and following more reputable local news outlets. We will also have our favorite resources linked. We will have podcasts, websites, Instagram accounts, and more. We will also have our favorite news resources linked. We'll have podcasts, websites, Instagram accounts, and more. Thank you so much for coming to our space. Bring it back.